Good morning, and let me add my welcome to worship this morning. Welcome to this uh, 930 Cornerstone service. And for those who might be new to our community, my name is Jim Connor, and it's my privilege to serve as one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, this truly is the most wonderful time of the year, and uh, the reasons for that are many, but perhaps first and foremost is the incredible music uh, that we get to hear each week. And gosh, weren't we blessed this morning, first with the FX kids and the joy to world, but the go tell on the mountain with the saxophone, Oh, Holy Night and Mary Did You Know. That's, that's on my top five list. That was the, in the team photo right there. I'm not sure what else we need. Um, and frankly, I'm not sure you need a sermon. Um, but I'm here. Um, we've talked about other surprises uh, that we are going to bless you with uh, during the season. And, and we have a sleigh here at the church. Uh, and so you have an opportunity to climb in it, to take pictures with you and your friends or you and your family. Uh, Christmas cards maybe for next year. Um, but uh, we, enjoy, we invite you to enjoy uh, that and all that our church has uh, decorated and inspired uh, all of us to, to help you feel welcome and excited about the season that we're in. Uh, my surprise for you is the gift of the worst opening puns I've ever used to start a sermon. So here it is. A group of chess enthusiasts had checked into a hotel and they were standing in a lobby discussing their recent tournament victories. And after an, about an hour and the noise getting kind of loud, the manager came out of the office and asked them to disperse. But why, they asked. Because he said, one thing I can't stand is chestnuts boasting in an open foyer. <laughs> Let us pray. <laughs> Let now the words from my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, this morning's message deals with peace of mind. It deals with peace, and I want to start with a, a definition of, of peace, which is taken from uh, the Old Testament. It's uh, the concept of shalom, and it's going to be on a, a slide in front of you in just a moment. And it says, the, the, the way the prophet speaks of peace is consistent with the use of the word shalom throughout the Old Testament, where it means not simply the absence or cessation of conflict, but the restoration of a state of essential wholeness. And just look at that last line. Peace is the restoration of a state of essential wholeness. Now, how many of you are experiencing at this moment a state of essential wholeness? Because I'm not even sure what that means. Uh, but what I, I do know is uh, I'm not completely at peace. Um, perhaps we could use other words to, to help us understand peace a little better. We use words like calm or, or serenity. Uh, we use words like harmony, agreement, uh, order, reconciliation, perhaps even unity, and yet we still don't have it completely, do we? It can be argued there is no more important message in the Bible than that of peace, peace among nations, peace between human beings and creation, peace within nations, peace among races, peace within the family, among brothers and sisters, and peace with God. Since the beginning of recorded history, which I think has been about 3,530 years, uh, only 286 years were years where there was complete peace. And during that time, all of those 3,000 years, there have been over 8,000 peace treaties which were made and which were broken. 
On July 3rd, 1863, the final tragic battle at Gettysburg was fought, was fought. And we know it as Pickett's Charge. Robert Lee ordered an advance of 14,000 Confederate troops uh, under the leadership of General George Pickett, and they were to march across an open field which was uh, three quarters of a mile long and a, and a mile wide. Union troops and artillery were dug in on the other side, above on the rise, uh, unbeknownst to the Confederate soldiers. And it was an amazing sight when they made it to that other side. In 30 minutes, 7,000 of the Confederate troops were dead. 50 years later, it was in 1913, that veterans of two, those two armies that clashed that day returned to Gettysburg for a reenactment of Pickett's Charge. The old Union soldiers took their position on the ridge and the old Confederate soldiers marched across the field. But then a very extraordinary thing happened. As the Union soldiers moved out to rush down at the old men marching across the field, a great cry went up. Only instead of doing battle this time as they had a half century earlier, they threw their arms around each other and they began to cry. What an image. A gathering of those who had waged war against each other 50 years ago. A gathering of those who were then confronting people who had killed their own brothers and best friends. And they met in the middle, and they embraced, and they wept. For me, that's a strong image of hope and of peace. I would tell you that the evening news has not been good recently, but frankly, the evening news has not been good for years. But yet we are still called to be a people of hope, we who call ourselves Christian. We live in a world where peace seems virtually impossible and God's reign and rule seem like a, a very distant dream. But the coming of Jesus reminds us that God's message of peace, good news and salvation that was wrapped in a manger and swaddling clothes isn't just something that came once or isn't just something that's to be hoped for. It's something to be claimed and it's something to be worked for. The reality is that it's not very peaceful or gentle for us even in the Christian family. It should not surprise you that, that we in the church, across the churches, disagree on several things. But wouldn't it be something if all of the Christian family could unite on one thing? And perhaps that could be working for peace. Wouldn't it be amazing if our energy were devoted to reaching across dividing walls of nation, ethnicity, and religion, wouldn't it be something if we worked to include rather than to exclude, to love and to accept and to forgive rather than putting up more barriers? I invite you to open your heart this morning to that very image, the image of the promise of God's peace of perfect unity. And then I want you to think about how you can make that happen. There's a powerful image of God's peaceful, peaceable kingdom, which is found in the prophet Isaiah, the 11th chapter, verses 6 and 7. 
And that in it, it says, the wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. Edward Hicks did a wonderful uh, rendition of this passage from Isaiah, and, and this is what he, he drew. He made a hundred different paintings of this, and I want you to look at this very carefully. And I want you to recognize that those are animals who are used to eating each other. And that is a little child. And they're there in peace and harmony. And as you look at that, that scene, I want you also to, to think about what maybe some of you have been doing over the last few weeks. Uh, many of you have nativity scenes that you have taken down from the, the shelves or, or taken out of the closet and, and set up uh, somewhere prominent in your living room or in the entryway to your house. And every time we do that, it's a wonderful reminder of, of that, that first Christmas. But there are sheep and there are lambs and there are goats. Of course, there's also Mary and, and Joseph and, and the baby Jesus. But I wonder if you can imagine in your nativity scene that around the edges, there's also the wolf uh, and the lion and the leopard. Because that nativity scene is not just for those who are named. It really is that image of peace for all of creation. And as you think of that, and as you think back to that picture, which was just on the screen, I, I want you to imagine for yourself what, a, what other opposites or what other uh, folks who may be on different sides of different issues or different sides of different wars and struggles, what it would be like if they were in that picture. And with the reality that peace has come and a little child shall lead them. As we head closer and closer to Christmas, uh, there's only 14 shopping days left. I know that because I haven't started. Um, how, many, how many of you have finished all of your shopping and wrapped all of your gifts? Would you please raise your hand and you raise them high. Go ahead. Okay. Um, for the seven of you, we're going to have a prayer time after the service. I want you to come right over here. And, wow, that's, that's incredible. Uh, congratulations to you. And, and again, I'm so impressed because that leaves you time for nothing, right? There's nothing else that you have to do in the next 14 days. How are we going to get everything done in the next 14 days? How are we going to get the gifts, wrap the gifts, return the gifts, get the gifts again? How are we going to Going to write the cards, open the cards, write the cards to the people who wrote us cards that we didn't write cards to. Who are we going to invite to the parties? Where do we get to the parties? What are we going to bring to the parties? Are we really going to taste everything at the party if we don't know what's in it? I'm a discerning eater, a very picky eater, so just know that that's the way I am. There is so much to do. And how is it in the midst of all of that hurry that we'll ever find peace? Well, I want to let you know a couple of things. And the first is this, that that no matter how busy we are, we still can have peace. We still can know peace. And no matter how empty our schedule is, we still may have a difficult time finding peace. Most of us know what struggles face us this year. Some are worried about their calendar. Some have too much time, some don't have enough time. Folks are worried about their checkbooks. Some don't have enough money and some have too much money. Some folks are bat battling addiction. Some are battling doubt and guilt. Some are mourning the loss of loved ones. Some are mourning the, the reality of broken relationships. 
Most of us can't choose the circumstances that we find ourselves in, but what we can choose to do is to act in a way that will help us to make this season meaningful. We can be agents of love and hope and mercy. We can be signs of peace and joy, but we have to choose to do it. So how is it that we find peace? I think the first thing we need to do is we need to overcome fear. It is an amazing thing in the scriptures that that the words fear not appear over and over and over again. Uh, to, To the disciples when Jesus meets them after his resurrection, to, to, to Mary, to to the shepherds. Over 80 times, I believe, the words fear not are are lumped together. It's because the gospel writers knew. It's because God knew that that's something that we struggle with. And if we struggle with fear, it is hard for us to do almost anything else. Catherine Percy in her book, Any Day a Beautiful Change, describes what it's like to be locked in a prison of fear. And I want to read this for you as it's on the slide in front of you. Fear is a physiological response to tomorrow. It is almost always about death. Fear is exhausting and depressing. Generally, the calamities I expect do not come to pass, so I replace them with new ones. Time and energy that could be used constructively for prayer, dishwashing, learning to quilt, I sacrifice to cultivate apprehension. Dear friends, have you been cultivating apprehension? What is it that you are really scared of? Are you scared of death? Are you scared of what's happening this afternoon? The scriptures speak to us in some very wonderful ways about how it is that we can overcome fear. And one of those readings is the scripture I chose to be central for our message this morning and is taken from the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter. It is a passage that features Jesus talking to disciples shortly after he had fed them at the Last Supper, after he had washed their feet. The disciples are still overcome with fear, not knowing how they possibly were going to make it without Jesus. He kept telling them he was going to die. They didn't believe it still. And so Jesus, one last time, tells them what's about to happen and tells them not to worry. So... Here, is these, here are these words from the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter. First verses 1 through 4, and then I'll be picking up again with verse 25. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. All this I have spoken while I'm still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom God will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. That message from the Gospel of of John is one of my favorite passages. It's a passage that we often use at a memorial service when, when we're remembering a loved one. 
because it tells us first that that God is, is ready to welcome us home. And there are so many wonderful rooms for you and for me. And just as important and even more important for the folks who have gathered at a memorial service, that we're not left alone. We're given peace and not peace as the world gives, but peace as only God can give in Jesus Christ. And that peace is given to us in the gift of the advocate, who we know is the Holy Spirit. What an incredible gift that is to us, the, the reminder that we don't ever need to be afraid, for God will always be with us, and in that Holy Spirit we will be strengthened, empowered, that we might live, and that we might live faithfully. As you think to yourselves about who you would name as someone who truly radiates peace, Perhaps you're like me and not that many names come to mind. And it's not that we don't have wonderful friends and family members. It's just that, that for many, true peace is fleeting. But there are some. And I found that those are folks who have experienced some of the worst tragedies in life. And even in the midst of their difficult circumstances, they remain centered. They're at ease with themselves and the situation they're in. And, and just as important, they are very much in love with God. And they know that God is loving them and watching over them. They are able to experience peace in the midst of conflicts, a peace that holds together even when their world is falling apart. I had the privilege of, of living with one of those individuals for 27 years. And even in her last days as she died, she was able to do that with just an incredible peace, a surrender, a willingness to know that she was in good hands, which was so helpful for me to see. But because I was the one that was left, the peace was a lot harder to find. And part of my problem with, with looking for that peace is that I looked for it on my own. I, I almost isolated myself so much that, that I wouldn't let others in I found myself shutting others away. And what I eventually learned was that peace is not something that we can get on our own. And if we have it, it is certainly not something that we can keep to ourselves. So how is it that we find peace and share peace? Paul in Philippians gives us a, a pretty good formula for it. In Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7, he says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice that order. First prayer and then peace. Dear friends, that's exactly what we need to be doing. We need to be pray prayerful. We need to pray for ourselves and for those around us. We need to pray for our community. We need to pray for our church. We need to pray for our world. And we need to pray for our country. So I ask you, just as I asked you before the elections, to keep praying for our country, especially as a divided country attempts to reconcile itself to new leadership in the White House. The truth is that 
the more we pray, the stronger we pray, the more fervent we are in our prayers. When it's about a particular issue, soon we find ourselves becoming part of the solution. And we need to be part of the solution that we know is peace. And so I also invite you to pray for the peace of Mansfield. What a privilege it has been over the last five and a half months to get to know this incredible city. A city that is growing by leaps and bounds. A city that, that has almost something for everyone. And a city that is incredibly diverse. I, I keep being baffled, amazed, and excited by the fact that in the Mansfield Independent School District, there are students who speak over a hundred different languages. What an incredible testimony of, of the diversity. What an incredible challenge at times, I, I would imagine, for communication. And so it's up to us, we who call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ, to, to be ones who can help in that communication. And even if, if someone speaks differently or looks different or wears different things, even if somebody is, worships differently or doesn't worship at all, we are called to, to be there for one another, to care for each other, to reach out to each other. I've seen nothing but, but wonderful things uh, demonstrated over and over again by people in this church, but also by the people of Mansfield. It was, um, I think, back in July, shortly after the, the shooting of the Dallas police officer that I, I went to a gathering uh, on one of the municipalities' uh, steps, and, and there were clergy from many different churches. There were lay people from many different churches. We filled that area, and we offered prayers, prayers for peace, prayers for healing, prayers for the, the, the police officer family, the police officer, for all police officers. What a powerful witness that was. And yet, it occurred to me that, that all of those who gathered on, uh, at that night, from what I could tell, were all Christian. And Mansfield is not just Christian. When is the time that we gather as a people of all faiths to come together and to pray for each other and to pray for community that we are all a part of? I'm a numbers person, so excuse me for, for throwing some statistics at you, but I read just uh, this past week that uh, in the world, 33% uh, of the folks in the world are Christian and 22% of the world are, are Muslims, or maybe it's the other way around, but in any case, 55% of the world is, is one of those two major faith traditions. And how are we ever going to have peace in our world when there's mistrust between people of faith, over half the world. Peace is something that we need to pray for, but peace is something we also need to work for. And it's up to each and every one of us to find ways to make that happen. One of the ways we make that happen, I think, is the way that we continue to reach out to others in our community and to get to know folks who are different from us, the folks who have different perspectives, traditions, cultures. Shortly after the uh, that prayer service in, in July, discussions started about members of uh, Bethlehem Baptist and, and First Methodist gathering together to, to talk about um, each other's experiences, to, to get to know each other, to talk about how together we might be a witness in this community of which we're part. And so we've gathered, uh, clergy and, and, and some of our lay members have gathered twice and, and we have more gatherings to come. And it's been very eye-opening and, and just very heartwarming to, to know 
that we have so much in common with each other. And yet we also know that, that, that the worship hour, whenever it is, is one of the most segregated throughout America. As we talked about how we might be a great witness and, and what we might do together, one of the, the comments that was, was lifted up was, well, what we need to do is we need to, to be there for each other. We need to be in community. We need to show up places. And Reverend Hornsby from Bethlehem Baptist, he said, what we really need is we need more Susan Luttrells. <laughs> now, Susan happened to be at the table, and, and she got very embarrassed, just as she did at the 815 service when I, I shared the same story. But as Leonard talked about Susan, and, and we, we all know why Susan's name would be mentioned, because she really is an, an agent of change and mercy and love and care. She is a person who is nonstop going to this place and to that place uh, for, to represent people in need, no matter whether she knows them or not. She is, she is one who helps us as a church know how we might best serve each other and care for those in need. Uh, we celebrated this past week the, the gift of, of the, the angel trees, gifts that you brought, uh, gifts that, that were for individuals and families numbering well over 700, gifts that went to so many different places, to children at the Methodist Children's Home in Waco, to children within our community. Uh, they went to refugees, they went to veterans uh, who were homeless, they, they went to residents of an entire nursing home, and, and they, they also went to some of the silver angels in our congregation, folks who are down at this time, who've lost loved ones, who are, are having a difficult time, and you made that happen. Susan on Friday evening was, was given an award by the city of Mansfield as a citizen of the year, and she's now on the wall of fame. We've known that for years. But you all, too, in what you've done and how you've done it, and how you've lived your life of faith deserve to be on a wall of fame. But we don't do it just as Susan didn't do it to be recognized. We do it because it's part of who we're called to be as a people of faith. And that doesn't just happen by prayer only. We have to work at it. In Galatians, we're told that we're not ever to become weary in doing good. And to me, that carries over to doing good when it concerns acts of peace. So as you gather with, at the time when it may not be that easy for you, some of you are going to be gathering with family members who you don't want to be with. Some of you will be gathering with friends at parties or other places that you will try to avoid. There are issues that still are, are just ringing from things that have been said or not said, from things that have been done or not done. And I want you to be the person to try and break down those walls. I want you to be forgiving. I want you not to avoid those situations, but to be an agent of peace. That's what this season is all about, about reconciliation and unity. It's not easy but it needs to start with us. Each year as we draw closer and closer to Christmas, I find myself turning to a poem by Howard Thurman entitled, The Work of Christmas, as a reminder to how we're called to live, not just this time, but all year. And this is what he wrote. When the song of the angels is stilled, 
when the star in the sky is gone, when the king and the princes are home, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among brothers and sisters, and to make music in the heart. May it be so, these last days of Advent, this Christmas, and all of the days to follow. Would you pray with me? Loving God, you have promised a peace for us that surpasses all understanding. And we ask for that peace now, a peace for our hearts, a peace for our minds, a peace for all who live in fear and sadness, a peace for our world which still struggles. Lord, in your mercy, give us peace. And just as importantly, help us to be instruments of your peace. Amen.